I'm Mike Logan. I'm Garrett Elzinga. And this, and this better, better be, be good. good. You know, there used to be a time when we both said this better be good at the same time, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> just just now. We did it just now. It was pretty good. Did it actually sync up, though? I always try and mimic when it's gonna when you're gonna say it, so I'm like, "This better be good." Like I kind of just match it up to you. Oh. Um, you guys know what it is. It's a weekly podcast where Garrett and I review a movie before seeing it and review it again after seeing it. And this week, there's not uh, there's one new release, but it's uh, no. I don't think we need to see Vince Vaughn in Freaky, whatever the hell that movie is. But yeah, um, in Michigan here we're locked down again, so. It doesn't matter. We're just going to keep watching movies at home. <laughs> I did get a chance to go see a movie in a theater uh, two days ago. It was the first time I've been in a theater since March. It was me and my friend, and it was amazing, and we saw Tenet, and we, I highly recommend it. Um, but this week, we're doing something that you guys can see. You're about to lock down for a couple weeks, maybe, if you're listening to us in the Michigan area or anywhere in the Midwest, really. So you can go to Netflix right now and watch the movie that we're doing this week, because this week we're watching The Devil All the Time, mm, starring Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Jason Clark, Sebastian Stan, um, Robert Pattinson. Uh, it's a really it's kind of, you know, it's a, I guess a character actor, star-studded movie. It's like all these like really good, like niche actors. They put them all in this moody period piece that kind of reminds me a bit of like Lawless, but like mm. maybe a little more substance to it. And I like Lawless, but to me it, felt like it was just this close to being like a better movie. Um, hmm. And this kind of had that same like, you know, Southern like, yes, ma'am, no ma'am kind of like, let's kill some people vibe or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen the trailer. So all I know about the movie is that it's uh, it, it has Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson and Bill Skarsgård and that it's called The Devil All the Time. <laughs> That's literally yeah. all I know about it. Yeah, I watched the trailer just now. Like when I went to go put this screen up on my TV, I just watched the trailer, and it looks pretty good. It looks very, um, like I said, very moody, uh, which I'm really excited about. I'm hearing um, great things. I am uh, tempering my expectations because my dad said he liked it, and he voted for Trump. So I'm afraid. <laughs> so. um, also, I guess if uh, if you're uh, tuning in for the first time because of a, you may have heard about. A special guest we have this week. Uh, I'm assuming we're going to have a couple new listeners at least. Um, so at the second half of the podcast, we're going to be joined by uh, a friend of mine named uh, T.J. Miller. You may have known him from such films as The Emoji Movie, which is what he always tells people. <laughs> his credit. Uh, but no, The Emoji Movie. He played HUD in the film Cloverfield, who was the guy, you know, the guy controlling the camera in Cloverfield. He's got over 25 films under his belt. I'm ha- I, ha- I happen to be working with him tonight and last night, and I just threw it out to him to be on the show, and he's on the podcast. Unfortunately, he's very busy, so he had to watch the movie last night, but he did take notes before he watched the movie, and he will join us in the second half and give us his first half notes, and then he'll review the movie with us. Cool. Okay. But back to this movie. How excited are you to see Winter Soldier and Spider-Man in old-timey clothes? <laughs> I'm excited. I think that'll be fun. I mean, I they're both fantastic actors, so... <laughs> In the Marvel, I mean, pretty much the only thing I've seen both of them in has been the Marvel Universe, and I think in those movies they have more, I guess, depth to their roles, um, and I think it's going to be, they're they're great actors, so I'm excited to see them in, uh, you know, yes ma'am, no ma'am, I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I um, after having just seen Tenet the other day, I'm really excited about Robert Pattinson. Like, Robert Pattinson's a great actor, if anybody doesn't yeah. know, like, we've talked about him before on the podcast, like, People think of him as Twilight, but like 
he's a little more than that. Like if you haven't seen Good Times by the Safety Brothers or um, uh, what's the Aztec one with um, Charlie Lost, Hunt. The Lost City of Z. Lost City of Z. That's a really good one too. And then I just he was just in Tenet. That's an amazing movie. He's great in that. And so I'm really excited about this. It's kind of disappointing. Like you've heard all the news from set of the Batman, right? Yeah, I mean, he had but, COVID. Well, he also came. He also reported out of shape once, and they had to push production back like two months. He he what? He reported what? Like before he got COVID, he reported to set like the first week of shooting out of shape, and they had to push shooting back like two months or a month or something like that. Wow! Now before he got COVID, <laughs> then he got COVID. So he was so out he of shape. With the production. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, Garrett. Tom Holland, Bill Sarsgaard, and Sebastian Stan. Three actors who are known for, like, large franchise roles. Um, Tom Holland, obviously, is very famous as playing Spider-Man now. He's had four movies to develop that character in. You might um, want to fix your mic, because it's going, it's being wonky. It's like, you sound like you're in a well. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, I'm going to get my headphones. Okay, we're going to pause. Wanna you want to stop recording and come back? Because I'm, I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll stop. I'll, I'll slide off right in here. Okay, so yeah, so top, as I said before, so we got Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Sebastian Stan, three actors who are known for like these big tentpole movies. We've got It and then the MCU. Tom Holland and Sebastian Stan have had multiple films to, you know, round out their characters. Uh, Bill Skarsgård is, you know, he does what he's given. He's a, he's It, so he doesn't really have that much depth to him. But I'm really excited to see what these actors can do in two hours with a character. Because we haven't, I mean, I personally haven't seen Tom Holland in anything besides Spider-Man stuff. And I think I've maybe seen Sebastian Stan in one other thing, but I don't remember, like, what it was. Yeah, it was, like, Hot Tub Time Machine or something. Yeah, something like it's something that. along those lines. Um, yeah. Do you, think, do you think any of these three are going to excel more than the other? Or do you think it's going to be, like, pretty straightforward across the board with these guys? Well, I think Tom Holland is... Um, the main character, I'm assuming, because he's on the poster, uh, he's probably the most bankable star. Um, so he'll probably feature prominently. Probably has a pretty beefy role. Yeah. Um, so I think he's going to be given the most material to, you know, mess with. So then the question is, is someone going to steal the show? Like, are we going to be watching this, like... <laughs> Lawless, where Shia LaBeouf is the main character, and then we're like, oh, Tom Hardy, for sure, hands down. Yeah. So is that going to be the Sebastian Stan character or Bill Skarsgård? I mean, I haven't... Wasn't Bill Skarsgård in... What's that movie? God. Um, I think we saw it for the podcast. It was like some espionage movie. It's not uh... Gemini Man. Is it Gemini Man? Is he in that? No, he's not Gemini Man. No, that was... Um... That was what's his face, um, the guy from Shoot 'Em Up, Clive Owen. No, that's not who I'm thinking of. Um, oh. He, it, it was some movie. What was the one where he wasn't in Extraction? It's something like where they're all in a meeting room and they're talking about something. <laughs> <laughs> I know that doesn't boil it down. <laughs> But I remember, like, he was in something in, like, a meeting, like, a hotel room that's, like, you know, turned into a boardroom kind of thing. But I remember, like, looking at him, like, wow, he's a striking, handsome guy. You know what I mean? He's, like, a very – you would look at him – like, even if he's doing interviews on shows when he's, like, promoting it and Pennywise, you look at it and you're, like, 
it doesn't seem like he would be under all that makeup because yeah, he seems a lot nicer than the character. Like, yeah, like Robert so England. Robert England as Freddy Krueger, you're like, I can see it. Yeah. Not, not to say he's not an attractive guy or whatever yeah. back then, but it's like you look at him, you're like, yeah, I can see how they'd put the mask. Like, he could, because he exudes Freddy, like he exudes, you know, that face when he... A lot of Freddy is like Robert England. So exactly. Yeah. But, you know, Bill Skarsgård is, you would never look at him and be like, oh, that's Pennywise. I see it. <laughs> That'd be so rude. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Um, so his mouth splits open. Uh, but I am excited to see how he actually, you know, acts in a, in a film. And then Sebastian Stan always has the, you know, the, um, just the moniker of like being a double crosser. So he always has to live with that guilt in his role as a uh, winter soldier. And then Robert Pattinson, I mean, he is, I think he's the ultimate, you know, actor because he changes who he is in every role that he's in. I mean, you would never look at him and go, oh, I can see how that's the same guy from Remember My Story or whatever the hell that 9-11 romantic. I think it's called Remember Me. Remember Me. And then also Twilight and then also The Lighthouse. Like, it's crazy different roles. How did I forget about The Lighthouse, man? (laughs) Yeah. Lighthouse. We've a, also we such a great movie. We've reviewed that one as well, and uh, Deadpool two, which is uh, <laughs> what T.J. Miller's in. You know what's funny? I remember, um, or not? I remember last night. I was thinking we should go. I should go back and listen to the Deadpool two episode just to make sure we didn't talk shit about T.J. Miller. <laughs> I don't think Although we did. We if, that, <laughs> if anything, we probably defended him yeah. for the for the uh, you know the 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 shit storm that happened a while ago. But we'll, we'll yeah. we probably won't talk about it. But regardless. Definitely not talking about that. <laughs> um, no, that'll be okay. the first question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this movie is directed by Antonio Campoa. I don't know if it's Campoa or Campos. I didn't Wikipedia it. Racist. But, um, I, um, <laughs> I, uh, I've never seen his work before, although he is one of the co-screenwriters of this movie. Um, and judging from the trailer, whatever kind of movie we're going to get, it's definitely going to be good to look at. Like, it's a very pretty looking film. Um, once, uh, once the movie starts, I'll like write down all the names and stuff. Cause I have to use my phone. I have to write down the names of shit instead of mm. just like having my phone ready. But like, I'm interested to see like who the DP is and, um, all those kind of like the AD and all that kind of stuff just to see, because it's got like a Terrence Malick kind of every scene looks like a fucking painting kind of vibe to it, which I really like, mm-hmm. um, for my eye holes. Um, and then you round it out with this great cast. I'm just excited. I'm excited to get to our favorite subject, our favorite topic of the show. Are you excited for it, Garrett? Before we get to it, we should probably explain what the movie is for other people. Oh, I didn't um, do the synopsis. You're right. No, because yeah, when you mentioned that you don't have your phone, it reminded me. Um, the devil all the time. Uh, here's the here's the plot. Let me let me know if uh, I sound great. Okay. Sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town teeming with corruption and brutality. <laughs> You know what that voiceover sounds like? It sounds like a voiceover for an ABC Family movie. So like when they like when they play like Batman Begins on ABC Family. In a world where bats are around a man. Dude, um, I saw I saw a trailer on Reddit, and it was a trailer for a- ABC's Family's actual broadcast of uh, Batman Begins back in like 2000, whenever it came out, or like 2009 or some shit like that. Yeah, and that's exactly they kind of painted like a romantic film. 
Like it's so bad. It's like I'll send you the trailer. I'll probably post it on the page too. But Please like, do. It's, it's literally just like uh, I don't remember the words verbatim, but it's along the lines of he'll have to fight himself and love while fighting crime. I'm not fucking wow. So That's bad. so dumb. <laughs> it's like, so misleading. If it was called Superhero Begins, <laughs> but it's not. Oh. It's Batman Begins. We all know Batman. Maybe if it was called like Ang Lee's Hulk Begins, because that was a love story. But <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny because that's a love story, but then they cut all the love story out of the Incredible Hulk, and it suffers for it. Yeah. Well, didn't Edward Norton want all the love shit in there, and that's what they yeah. got mad about? Pretty sure, which would make more sense because it doesn't make sense as to why Liv Tyler's character does anything for him. Have it, whatever. Exactly, uh, you're right. You're 100 right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think favorite, it's time for some bold predictions. Yeah, uh, here's my uh, here's my way of uh, announcing it. Here we go. <clears throat> bold prediction. That's right. Time for some bold predictions. It's very simple. Garrett and I make a bold prediction about the movie, and if it comes true, we get points i don't know we don't really actually award ourselves anything but it's fun for you guys maybe um it's pretty simple we make a bold prediction about the movie we used to make really like predictions that could come true but we find that it makes the movie going experience a lot less fun because then you're just waiting for the bold predictions now we kind of make it i don't know uh, an actual bold prediction and i've got a pretty good one it's it might not be that bold but at some point in this movie somebody will have their feet washed that's my bold prediction. Come wow. on, like the devil all the time. Jesus washes feet. It's going to be in this movie. You thought hard. Um, I did. <laughs> I Well, I mean, I'll go with the religious imagery. Um, one scene will take place in a church. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's my... Character. I already know the bold prediction. Bold prediction. All right, before we go into this, uh, we like to give the movie a little arbitrary rating. It's pretty simple. We rate it before we see it, so that's why it's arbitrary. Um, Garrett, you want to rate this sucker first with your Starbucks Holiday Cup? Um, chestnut Praline, baby. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say uh, eight. I think this will be a very great character study. Um, I think it's going to be – I'm not going to say fun because it seems th- – the title – no, the title alone is like – sinister and dark and i don't know i think it'll be uh an interesting watch um i'm gonna give it eight um i don't feel so good mr starks out of ten <laughs> nice <clears throat> i've seen a lot of movies i like period pieces i like period pieces and um i like movies set in this time period but i've never really been blown away by one like i always feel like i said about lawless i always feel like they kind of miss the mark like, it's always like there's an idea, and I'm like, I could see what they were going for, but it never, for me, quite, get over, quite gets over. Um, and that may just be to unrelatability, and this is literally just out of the fact that, I mean, like, if I watch a movie set in the 40s with black people in it, I feel like I would feel more. And this is literally just a personal thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, like, I, I mean, I'm, I, I don't have any connection with, like, white moonshiners or like churchgoers <laughs> so i'm always like yeah that seems pretty cool but like i don't ever like you know what i mean you mean you don't feel anything by watching the dukes <laughs> of hazard <laughs> <laughs> like i like the movies and i'm like yeah these are cool films but then i'm like yeah that's about it um yeah. but that's like a that's literally just a personal thing um so i'm gonna temper my expectations but i mean i love this whole cast i love this time period the direction looks great i don't see this being that bad of a movie i think it's gonna be pretty good so I'm going to go very low key and go seven and a half. Mm. Uh, seven and a half 
um, fuck, uh, seven and a half, uh, John Connor's actually a Terminator from the fucking future, but we saw it in the trailer, so who gives a shit? Out of 10. That's well, a really this... deep cut, if anybody. Jason Clark's yeah. in this movie. <laughs> oh, Jason Clark's in this movie? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that... I'm, can I bring my rating down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because of Jason Clark. I mean, nothing against him. He's been in some yeah. great movies. He's also been in some terrible movies. That's true. Winchester, kind of, Terminator Genesis. He just says yes to a lot of stuff. <laughs> I mean, he might need the bread. But he's in so much stuff, you wouldn't think, I don't know. All right. You guys are going to hear an ad and then the trailer and then, there's still an ad, right? Yeah, we got the anchor ad. Right? Our ad is paused, so I don't, oh, they paused. might Oh, they we might have to hear... re-record it. Oh, we have to re-record it? Yeah, I, I forgot they sent me an email like oh. a week ago. I got to forward it to you. Okay, well. So you'll hear an ad and then the trailer and then we will be right back. Happy birthday, Arlen. Happy birthday, honey. Happy birthday to you. Well, this was your daddy's. Brought back from the war. It's time to pass it on. It's the best present I ever got. Thank you. How and why people from two points on a map without even a straight line between them can be connected is at the heart of our story in Knock'em Stiff. You ever think about how we ended up orphans living in the same house? I know what my daddy did. Some people would say it's just dumb luck. You take pictures? I do. I see a smile pretty enough to photograph, that is. Others would tell you it was God's plan. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ain't no preacher. He's as bad as they got on a damn radio. When people look back on it, they had no other choice. A lot of no good sons of bitches out there. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. A belief that is untrue. It is our delusion that lead us to sin. Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do, I do because I have to. Not because I want to. Hey folks, one more ad before we get to the rest of the episode. Um, just want to let you guys know as well that uh, we are part of the Perfecta Podcast Network. Uh, that is something that Matt Holt and Ross Duncliffe have started. 
super great guys, super great thing. It's an umbrella of a bunch of different podcasts that are under it. And some of those podcasts are Stuart Huff's Obsessive Curiosities, An Evening with the Authors, The Sal and Bob Show, The Obtuse Angles Podcast, and Can Do with Bill Duncliffe. And of course, yours truly, This Better Be Good. But if you go to perfectapodcastnetwork.com, you can go check out all of those episodes of all of those shows and, uh, you know, tell them we sent you. How about that? Find us all on all the social medias and stuff like that, too. That would be great. Okay. Bye. All right. Welcome back. Uh, We just saw um, The Devil All the Time. And you guys, I'm assuming, probably didn't because most of the times you guys don't watch the movie. But (laughs) this time we hope you do because it's on Netflix. Obviously, it's very easy for you to watch it. Um, This time we're joined, as I said before the break, by uh, our special guest, uh, TJ Miller. Comedian and uh, star of the Emoji Movie and Yogi Bear 3D. The biggest credits anybody could ever have. <laughs> truly, truly something that um, that can't be beat in terms of uh, contemporary living comedic actors. I think I've gotten My- beat with two movies that should never have been made. <laughs> My only film credit, uh, actual production credit, is a movie called Skate Dog, starring Joey Lawrence and Tony Hawk and a bulldog. So. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, you might, you, we may be in the same category. I think we're, we're both up there. Mine is um, laughs. Mine is laughs on Fox, uh, season one before they started paying comics. So <laughs> <laughs> you got in there early before that sweet, sweet cash was available. Yeah, that baby, laugh money. All right, so um, TJ uh, watched the movie last night, and you took notes before you watched it, right? Yeah, well, what I I sort of, I didn't know exactly the exact format of the podcast. So what I did was I just, I like watching movies without any knowledge of them. In fact, the best experience I've had with that recently, in the beginning, the first time I really did that, I saw a double feature. I knew nothing about these movies. Are you ready for what a lucky, amazing afternoon I had? Yeah. Knew nothing about the movies, and I went and saw Hurt Locker. And then Moon with oh, Sam Rockwell. Oh God! And so, it, and I saw them in that order. So Hurt Locker was like so intense, and I was like, "Oh my God!" And then I went into Moon, not knowing anything about it, and saw it, and I was like, "Wow!" Because it was a totally different kind of intensity and interesting. And and I, I, it really bothered me the robot's voice. I was like, "I know that voice, but I can't." And at the end, it was Kevin Spacey. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. why the robot was such a, it was another character. It wasn't a mm-hmm. robot. It was really like Hal from, um, you know, the nefariousness of yeah. Hal from Space Odyssey found its way as a, you know, Kevin Spacey being this sort of really helpful, loving robot, but that has this protocol where it knows, you know, that, you know, spoiler alert, blah, blah, blah. But that was great. And then recently I did, um, I went into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood without any knowledge of it. So uh, I just knew it was Tarantino. I knew, it was, I knew who was in it. But I had read a year ago or two years ago, maybe, maybe even two or three years ago, that uh, he had bought the uh, Sharon Tate um, uh, story and was going to write, you know, the, he had gotten the rights to that story. He was going to write a movie about it. So then I forgot about that. And once upon a time in Hollywood, it didn't connect with me at all at that. So that was amazing. And I went and saw that by myself at the city cinema uh, 
City Cinemas Village East, which is this huge, ornate, old New York movie house. And it was on a super big screen and the, you know, film print, the way Tarantino yeah. wants you to see it. Mm. And I saw it, I couldn't believe it. And I, I brought tears to my eyes because it's so much about being an actor and being tossed around in Hollywood. And, and you know, there's just so many things to relate to, but also that I just knew about that was hit, hit home for me in terms of my experiences and seeing other people's experiences. And then I brought Kate back the next night. I immediately brought uh, the, because I was like, you have to see this, you're gonna love it. And she loved it. She, she loves movies like that. That's her type of movie. And we both agreed. I love that with this fucking ridiculous woke culture, they, somebody asked him, oh, you know, is there a reason that you didn't have uh, more strong female characters? And why why didn't Margot Robbie have more lines or something? Uh, yeah, I saw mm-hmm. that. Quentin Tarantino's like, I disagree with your thesis or your, you know, your premise. And then he moved on. And Kate and I both agreed that she was the most powerful character in that scene. The movie's about those two dudes. It's, it's yeah. two guys, you know, it's about a friendship. But the scene where she's watching herself um, on screen is the most powerful scene in the whole movie. Mm-hmm. It's the most important scene. It's a scene that makes us love her. It's the scene that shows us why this was such a tragedy. And it's the scene that makes us root for ultraviolence in preventing the reality yeah. of, of what happened from happening in Quentin Tarantino's alternate universe. So this one, I didn't know anything about it. And I thought, Mike, when you sent me um, the name of it, yeah, Tom, right behind you. And uh, I, I thought, just so you can remember what movie you're talking about. I was really trying to remember the title of the movie. The Devil and, uh, Some of the Time. Yeah, the, and, and it was The Devil All, most, yeah, all the Time. All the Time. <laughs> and um, uh, so I thought it was a horror movie. So I kind of was like, uh, all right. I mean, uh, and I actually thought, I thought, okay, I would never go and watch a horror film on Netflix on my own. So it's like, all right, it'd be interesting to see it and then talk with these guys. But I thought it was going to be a slasher film that was a little bit better in the vein of Hereditary or some of these, you know, horror films that have been a little bit better and more uh, substantial. And then I was blown away. And I just read the description once before I watched it. And it, you know, it the description reads like a horror film. It's like That's what I sinister thought. characters in the middle of Ohio and there's violence and corruption. And I was like, all right, this is going to be just that genre of horror. And then, Mike, you and I were texting, I'd say within 15 minutes, you're just like, oh, my God. And then yeah. when we move from the first story, sort of the culmination of who later we see is, I think, Tom Holland, the Spider-Man guy. Uh, we see his story as a child sort of end or change into him as a, you know, a, a, a teenager, a young adult. Uh, then you realize, oh, my God, there is. Because in the beginning, the narrator kind of sets out that there are a couple different people uh, or stories that are going to happen. But you think they're all going to center around this boy and his parents you know, and his father who's kind of a badass and will kick the shit out of somebody if need be. Um, but it's a very religious man. So you see all of, all of that, but as it becomes clear that these are 
stories that might happen separately, like the Coen Brothers film that actually, I love that actor, the one who played Roy the Preacher. He was in the Coen Brothers film as the kid with no arms and no legs. Yeah, that's uh, Harry, uh, Harry Melting, who played right, uh, and, Dur- who played Dudley Durst on uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, and that was the thing. I said, you know, I've seen this guy before, and he's so good. But I thought he was a theater actor. Then I looked him up, and yeah, he was the he's a kid in Harry Potter, and he, uh, as I read about him, he finished Harry Potter. You know, those kids are all too rich to even imagine. <laughs> and then he went and he did Lambda, which is the uh, dramatic academy in, I think, in England. And then he uh, he left before he graduated to work with Fiona Shaw on, um, you know, he did Harold Pinter plays. So he went and did, like, heavy-duty West End theater. So not even Broadway, like, London West End Theater. And you can see it. You know, I can always see when an actor has a theatrical background in film. It's so easy to spot. (laughs) And then I can see the guys, and these are the people that I work with, who are just movie stars, who never did anything except for... So, like, I just can tell the difference between a Mark Wahlberg and, uh, you know, Harry... What's his name again? I'm so sorry. Harry Melling. Harry Melling? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I can just see the difference between those two people. And Kristen Stewart and I actually had a lot of conversations about this, that, you know, there's some people, she considers herself a real deal actor. Um, And she is, she really is. But both of us agree that we're not like stage actors. We would never do a stage play or something like that. And I I did that early on, but I would never, that's not interesting to me at all, but it's clear that, Every actor in here seemed like they might have a theater background. I mean, it was really, because it was that type of movie. You know, it was a true drama and epic. So I, you know, just to recap what I would have said in the first part of the podcast, I thought it was going to be this, you know, podunk town. And I didn't even think it would be a period piece, just a slasher film. Hopefully it'll be as good as The Last House on the Left or something like that. And then it ends up being what it was, which I was really, Mike, like you texted, I was just blown away. It was one of those films that, um, I talk about this a lot because I watch a lot of movies. Obviously that's my a big part of my work. And this was a movie that I stood up and watched for part of it, which mm. is a very specific type of experience for me because that means that I, have to be more engaged than just sitting or lying down. So I sort of stand and I'll pace and I'm really watching the different shots and stuff. It was also a movie where it pulled me out of the critically looking at the acting and the uh, the cinematography and the direction, all that. And I just was watching a movie, which is always a great sign for me. And then it was one of those movies where at the end of it, I just kind of had to stop, make sure to watch the credits because the music is so good as well. And uh, I just actually said out loud, I was like, God damn, that's a great movie. That's And it, it felt like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's not as, I don't know if it's as good as that or if it's, it's certainly not comparable. There's no contest or anything. But it, it like that movie, it's some movies you walk away from or walk out of the theater and you think, okay, that's what a movie is. Is That's why they make mm-hmm. movies. Movies can still be like this. And so mm-hmm. I thank you guys so much because I also think this is a film that no one would have recommended to me. I'm not sure I would have come across this if it wasn't for the podcast. 
You know, uh, we have a motto on the podcast that Garrett actually came up with, and that is uh, to make a great movie, all you have to do is make a great movie. And, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. I like that's true. And yeah, that's the idea behind it. Because like, we've watched, obviously, we watch a movie. We've watched a movie every week for the last pretty much three years. So we've seen a lot of them. And there's a lot of really <laughs> bad movies out there. And when we sit down and break down the films, like if, they, if we see a really bad one, We'll try and break down what went wrong or why you know why we think it could have been made better and the thing we always end up with uh, the conclusion is that if, if you want to make a good movie just make a good movie there's still great storytellers out there and there's still great movies to be made but hollywood is so scared to give money to anybody if it's not guaranteed to come back to them that it's kind of sullying the options that we have out there the problem we, is yeah. t- uh, the problem is typically i'd say studio interference and I think mm. one of the best things about this movie is that they gave everyone in the production, you know, free reign to do justice to the original book. I mean, they even mm. the narrator of the movie is the author the of the book. Yeah. yeah. And it's at first I'm like a narrator. Is this going to be good? And then you start to realize this is a perfectly placed narrator and it's broken down. wonderfully. Like you can see each act of the movie. You have the first act, the second act and the third act. And it's masterful writing loved it it's great and and the narrator you're right you know he almost interacts with he becomes a character he almost interacts with the people and and you know he doesn't just say their thoughts he describes so it's a really good use of the narrator and Mm -hmm. you know i think having done now over 20 movies or something like that um often studio interference isn't that pronounced Hmm. so You'll get somebody saying, oh, you should do this here, this here. But, you know, if, if the movie is good, if the director did what he was supposed to do or, or ideally elevated the material, mm-hmm. then the studio doesn't they tend not to say recut it. And we want this to be different. The only people that did that actually were the Weinstein Company, and they were almost always right. So I did a film called uh, Already Brother and it's so sick right now to see Weinstein's probably going to die from COVID and everybody's like applauding that on Twitter and saying, Oh, it's so great. It's like still a human being guys. Can we even possibly get past that? Like get back to where we don't wish death upon people. But the Weinstein (laughs) company said, um, uh, an R idiot brother. They said, we've got to reshoot the ending. And all of us in the film thought the ending was great. Jesse, the director, Paul Rudd, everybody, and um rashida jones everybody was like but the movie's great it's perfect you know and the weinstein brothers said no 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 we need to see where paul rudd's character goes and we want to know what he and tj are doing after the story has ended and so it follows us and that that we we shot a scene not even reshot it shot a new scene of me and him and we make candles together and that's our business. That's what we ended up doing. And we're sort of buddies and make candles and have a dog that we look after. And I just absolutely did not. I remember as we were shooting it, it was in upstate New York. I remember as we were shooting, it, I was like, why are we doing this? Like, it's funny. I mean, it was going to be funny. Paul's really, really funny. And I said, okay, well, this is going to be funny, but why are we doing this? And sure enough, every fucking person that comes up to me and says they love the movie mentions a line from that scene. They say, Oh, there's no such thing as an ugly candle. Or they quote Paul Rudd's uh, uh, line, which is like, look at us, just two guys and a dog making candles. 
And so for whatever reason, the sweetness of that character in the movie itself did need an actualization at the end. And that's what's so bizarre about the Weinstein Company is whenever they would intervene, they were right. That was really, really interesting to me because I had heard that. But then in this experience, I thought, well, I think they're just doing this because they want to have control and tell somebody to do something. And it's not. They were so focused on making sure that every movie was as absolutely pitch perfect successful as it could be. And that's why they were always winning Academy Awards because they knew when to just tweak it a little bit and when to leave it alone. So I think often it's less studio interference and it's much more that the director was the wrong fit for the script or the director was the wrong fit for the actors or the script was never good enough and they thought the director and the actors would elevate it, but they didn't. So there's so many things that can go wrong that if one or two do go wrong, then you've got a bad movie. And the only movie I've been in that I think might be bad is uh, the only movie of mine that I haven't seen, which is Underwater. And I don't know if you guys have seen that. I haven't. Um, That's one that I have, you know, I figured it would be what it was, but it was a young director. I'm sure Kristen is amazing. I'm sure Vincent Cassell is amazing. But... um, I just didn't want to watch it. I had sort of a acrimonious split with that project. Um, and Kate and I, I think we're going to, we didn't get to celebrate Halloween. I was working. She came with me to Omaha, Nebraska, and we were working. So we're going to do a Halloween screening of that film because it's both a scary movie and scary that it might be a terrible movie, you know, I'm in a bad movie. <laughs> so, so we're going to make, we're going to make uh, dry ice cocktails and carve a jack-o'-lantern and all that kind of stuff. If they still have pumpkins available, but, um, you know, we, uh, um, I, I'm very lucky that most all the films that I've been in have been really, uh, really, really good. So I haven't been, I haven't had an experience very often where I'm in something and I'm like, this is going to be terrible. In fact, the only thing I've been in where I thought, oh, you know, with Deadpool, we didn't know if it was going to work. Mm-hmm. With um, Ready Player One, well, we I was obviously going to work. But with something like Ready Player One, you're like, is it going to be true to the source material? The devil all the time, obviously, having a book as a source material also. But we were concerned that Cloverfield wasn't going to work because it was so out there. There was already Blair Witch Project. I was shooting it. All of us were kind of (laughs) no-name actors except for Lizzie Kaplan. And we, um, you know, we just, we we really threw out. We're like, this is fucking going to bomb. This is not going to work. And then it made $80 million. So it was like... it's like I said to you last night, the first, Cloverfield was the first time, because Blair Witch came out, I was like 13 years old, and then yeah. Cloverfield came out, and it was the first time I, like, as a you know paying customer, got to experience that viral marketing campaign, and yeah. that's what hooked me. I mean, that first trailer, that teaser of just the Statue of Liberty had coming down, I was like, the second I saw that teaser, I was like, I need to find out everything about this movie, I need to find out what it is, where it's coming out, and then I watched it, and I remember, one, I didn't know who you were uh, at the time. So Thank the first God. <laughs> I didn't even know who I was at that time. <laughs> well, I remember just thinking about the whole film. I thought the whole movie, this is going to sound like I'm kissing your ass, but I thought the whole movie was good. But then I was like, would it have been as good without the character HUD? And I legit thought that because like you were essentially, you know, the, the audience in the movie questioning all the crazy shit that's happening and answering all the existential uh, questions. Well, and, and I'm the only comedy in that film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like what I've, come to realize because people sometimes say and by the way thank you 
And that was a scary thing for me because I, I, you know, I, I'm a physical comedian. And they were like, yeah, we're not really going to see you in this movie. And I was like, but it's my first movie. I'm not in front of the camera at all. And they're like, maybe, but no, probably not. <laughs> and that was just so mind blowing to me. I was like, what am I going to do with this? Um, but people sometimes say, geez, they always kill you in movies. And it's like, because <laughs> I'm really, really good at being the character that brings in the audience, very likable. Everyone watching is like, I'd be friends with that guy. You know what I mean? Even though I wouldn't be friends with most of them because they're all racist. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, they go, Oh, I, you know, I, I really like, um, I really like this guy. And then when I die, that's a really, it's a visceral, we pull the rug out from under them. They're now suddenly they have to, it makes them more invested in the characters that are left. Mm -hmm. It uh, forces them to feel something. And in the case of Transformers for Age of Extinction, I don't have to work any longer with Michael Bay on that movie. So that's a positive for me. Um, no, he's actually, he's great. He's, he was one of the most fascinating people I've ever worked with or for or around. Um, All that now, is, it true that he, is it true that he shoots most of the stuff by hand? Like He, he shoots a lot of it. And so, and so does uh, Spielberg. Spielberg, yeah, if he crazy. can't kind of get what he wants, he'll just take the camera and then he'll, he'll get it done. And neither of those guys started out as cameramen. I mean, that wasn't the deal with them. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting to watch that stuff happen, but, um, yeah, you know, I kind of, um, I need to, to be that person that people get along well with. It's also why sometimes, you know, I just did this film with Drew Barrymore that'll be streaming December 11th called the stand in. And I kind of made the play to be her romantic interest, but it wasn't a very funny, um, part and it wasn't what the director jamie babbitt wanted me to do um and then eventually drew barrymore was like no i can't this is really interesting she's like i don't want to act against tj because everybody knows who he is i want to act against a guy who people don't know who he is because the point of the movie is she's a movie star that the media attacks and is disgraced and then she kind of wants to leave Hollywood and her stand-in starts to take over her life. But she wants to leave Hollywood and have a regular boyfriend. And so the love interest had to be somebody that isn't a movie star, that people wouldn't look at and be like, oh, I know him mm -hmm. because she's a movie star in the movie, you know? Mm -hmm. So that really made sense for a number of reasons. And then I play her manager and it, it required this really weird kind of dark it's a dark comedy but i had to be this really like it was almost complex what a bad person he was you know mm. and you at no point even when he's doing his worst you at no point are like yeah fuck that guy because he's not like hey i'm a manager what's up hey babe hey call me babe call me it's none of that yeah um so that was really interesting but that's one of the few times that i play someone that you don't like, that you don't know quite what's going on with him, but you don't, you don't want to, you wouldn't want to spend time with that person. You would not want to be friends with that person. And then the rest of the films that I do is like, um, uh, you know, uh, she's out of my league. And so that's a good sort of best friend thing. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm often that type of person um, when I'm not kind of um, the star of something. And then in Silicon Valley, I was really a, a 
a hated character by the other characters in the show. Mm-hmm. And that actually came to mirror real life. It, it eventually, all of the people in that cast in real life kind of didn't really like being around me and thought, and I was sort of the outsider in real life on the set of that show that is about my character being an outsider um, in the, you know, the world of the show. That's a bummer. Um, You're not Jason Voorhees. You don't have to (laughs) stay away from the person. (laughs) No, I, um, uh, it wasn't that much of a bummer because then I left after season four, just about the perfect time. Uh, for me, it was the perfect time. And that was about when, if I had stayed for season five and six, then it would have been a bummer. I think then I would have hated uh, coming into work. But I, I, I left in part because I came to work and I was like, this is just not very challenging. I'm kind of going on autopilot. And my character itself, just like TJ Miller, doesn't really need to be in this show anymore. Mm-hmm. He, doesn't, he doesn't really have a place here any longer. And uh, so that was an interesting sort of mirroring. But to bring it back to the devil all the time, what was interesting about these characters is I felt a lot of times that, um, felt a lot of times that these were people that I both liked and hated, mm-hmm. you know, that you really felt for them and you felt bad for them, but they were despicable. I mean, really, yeah. really horrible people, some of them. They did a good job of um, helping you understand every character's motivation. Even if you didn't agree with why they were doing it, you still understood the fact that they were doing it. Oh, sorry. Ooh, housekeeping? They're trying to kick me out, but I'm not going (laughs) to (laughs) laugh. Okay, um, so I wanted to bring up one thing before we get into this movie that really struck or stuck with me, and that is, I feel like both of you, I'm assuming, had done some reading about the movie, but it was shot on 35mm film. Yeah. Which is pretty rare nowadays, but the thing that really got me was... Oh, that, it does have that look. Um, oh. The only thing that got me was, like, at first I thought, um, okay, this is 35 millimeter, but something else is different that's changing this atmosphere for me. So I looked it up, and I realized that it was, first of all, the cinematographer was a guy named Lowell Col- Coley um, from uh, the BBC. And uh. I guess what he, in addition to 35 millimeter film, he underexposed everything to... Uh, create greater detail in shadows. And so once I read mm. that, once I read that, I was like, ah, oh, cause the whole movie is very moody and you definitely feel the vibe from the first five minutes that this is not going to be like a very fun ride. And I think a lot of that definitely has to do with the fact that one, it's on film and two, it's so underexposed that everything looks so serious because the shadows are so deep. And like when he's holding the Luger, excuse me, he's holding the Luger, like it just looks more menacing. Like everything just looks kind of, more intimidating because of how darker and washed out it looks. I think that's very true. No, I think that's true. And it did have a really stylistic sort of feel to it. And they did a great job of making it a period piece in the 50s, but all the cars were sort of um, washed out, you know, and Mm -hmm. and and all of the, um, the small town houses were not like, caricatures of that mm-hmm. of those types of set pieces and um so it's a very real world that you entered into and then forgot that this was a period piece mm-hmm. you know yeah. and i thought the ending which we'll talk about after you sound the spoiler alarm i thought the ending was really an interesting it sort of made the the film then about a much bigger macrocosm of the world Mm-hmm. rather than just about these so that that was I, I thought 
that made me kind of walk away from the movie going, this is a fucking cinematic tour de force. So mm-hmm. I, I loved him. You know, what did um, you think, Garrett? Yeah, Garrett, uh, let's I, see your opinion. I mean, I, I loved it as well. I think each character, it, there's so many movies where a character exists just to be in it or just to be a plot point or just to have this happen or that happen. I think every character has a specific reason for existing in this movie and you there's a full backstory to each one. I mean, everyone is explored and written perfectly and I think that is, you know, due to it having a backstory of um you know, being from a book, having source material to pull from. But uh it's just masterfully acted and like you said, I mean, you feel for the characters, but you also despise them because mm-hmm. like someone will, you'll be like, I like this character. And then they'll go too far doing something. And you're like, that's just mm-hmm. too much. It's too much. Yeah. And or it, you'll but, say, this is just so crazy. And the only thing that links them all together really is religion. Yes. Yep. This, know, movie reminded me, this movie reminded me how much I despise religion. And yeah. <laughs> sometimes I forget, and then I see a movie like this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot that it's, it's it, complete. It, it, I think it's important to realize, though, that there are definitely two sides to religion. Like, this is obviously yeah. a lot of very extreme examples of religion, but it's the South in the fucking 50s. But, I mean, religion has its place, I think. But there's definitely people who take it too far. Well, I mean. I wrote in all caps in my notes, two and one, was that there are no small parts. And the other thing I wrote in all caps was every character goes too far. And well, it's funny th- that you said those two things. I think this movie is a perfect example of delusion when it comes to religion and yeah. indoctrination when it comes to yeah. religion. And and that's yeah. even, you know, in you know, if we bring it to politics, you can see that totally today. Just delusion and indoctrination. I think it's a completely relevant movie to be seeing at this moment in time. I I just I I really loved it. Yeah. I I, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah. Oh, oh I the was question. <laughs> Get a Zoom room. podcast. We love it. <laughs> TJ, the floor is yours. So I, 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 that's a really great way of putting it, and I wouldn't have really seen it as that necessarily, um, but that's exactly what it is. And I, I'm only pro-religion for people who kind of don't have much else mm. in the way of hope. And I think if that's a valuable tool for them, then they should use it. But this was a really interesting picture of it being all devil all the time. That's yeah. right. I think it is. It's like, you know, the God part of this, the heaven, the angel part of religion is this film is devoid of that component. And I yeah. think that's really, really what makes the, um, the, the title so brilliant. And I love, titles i'm really really obsessed with titles of films because there was this trend to just have it be like you know scary movie was the first to make fun of it but like you know i don't know the movies now are just named what they are yeah they're just named what they are like you know the car chase or this is you know buddy cop you know getaway. It's really, yeah the getaway the, yeah the ride along it's just what it is you know <laughs> and um, and uh, that movie Stuber was one that was uh, named something else, and it was terrible. They wanted me to do that film. I was like, I'm not going to do a film called Stuber, first of all, much less with that script. But um, I'm obsessed with titles. I make a lot of things because of the title. The two films that I did, um, 
that uh, went to Sundance short films were successful alcoholics. And then a film that we just off of the title, I'm having a difficult time killing my parents. <laughs> we just, we made those and they kind of write themselves. And the series, the series that I just wrote is called The Loneliest Megaplex. And it's wow. about a guy, it's about a guy who gets hired back at the movie theater during the pandemic, but nobody's seeing movies. So he's the only one they hire back. Huh. He's just alone in this like 30 screen megaplex. Um, and I think that, so titles are really important to me. I think this, this title kind of in the beginning, do, it doesn't quite make sense why it's necessarily called that. But then you pretty quickly realize, oh, each of these people is sort of entwined with the devil while running under the assumption that mm -hmm. what they're doing is godly. You yeah. Know? And so that was really, but the thing that I loved so much about it is, um, and I just, I really frustrates me when movies don't do this, but that everybody who deserved theirs got theirs. And that was really, really important for me because if it wasn't that, then it really would have been the devil all the time. So mm -hmm. the actual, the godlike, the heavenly, the, um, you know, ye, O ye faithful, you know, it shall be delivered. That was there by virtue of the plot and the story, you know? So retribution and, and all the thing, justice and, and uh, you know, all of that was served in a way that was really, really satisfying. And um, I think helped to make um, each of the characters sort of, um, I don't know, you know, the, each of the characters kind of uh, had their judgment day. And, you know, the main character um, who we see at the very end of the film, he kind of, um, you know, we were still conflicted. He's not a great guy. He's done some pretty heavy duty shit. But, you know, you really are asked to, at the end as a audience member, as a viewer, deliver your judgment on this man. Is this a good man? Is he a bad man? Can you be both at the same time? Should he be forgiven? Um, should he be applauded for what he did? Um, and so you sort of become the, the sort of Jesus Christ figure at the end of this kind of passing judgment on this final character, whereas everybody else has received their justice or, you know, due process of, of uh, you know, what ends up happening to them. Yeah. Um, all right, I think that's pretty good for spoiler-free section. Um, if anybody hasn't seen the movie yet, we recommend right now, stop if you want to see it, go watch the movie, come back to us, and then we'll, you'll hear our unfiltered opinions. But yeah, right and now, really, really watch it. Really, really watch yeah. it. We, we normally, so. You're gonna love the part where he kills that guy with his dick. Oh, sorry, <laughs> we haven't done the spoiler, oh God. Sometimes we uh, we see a movie and we're just like we don't you guys don't need to see this movie we'll just like ah, we don't really care. yeah of course yeah, Actually, a yeah. lot of times we'll be like don't watch it just listen to what we have to say but there's sometimes we'll be like we recommend you should watch this and I definitely think this is one of, that we recommend yeah. that you watch before coming back so spoiler alert is in session now we can say whatever the hell we want so at this point you fucked up if you're still listening and you don't want to so I said um, Garrett also agreed um, there are no small parts in this movie and before the in the first half. Garrett and I talked about how movies like this with like large ensemble casts usually have like one character that steals the show. 
and now that we've seen the movie, I think it's very hard to narrow it down to one character. But yeah. I'm going to ask both of you to try to narrow it down to your character who you think stole the show either the best, the most. Who do you think really stood out above this really great cast? Garrett, you want to go first? I mean... It's, <laughs> He's like, no, not no, really. <laughs> it's, it's really tough, but I will yeah. say... I went in expecting Robert Pattinson to like, obviously he's going to blow me away because I saw him in the lighthouse. I know what he's capable of. I'm going to watch every other I loved actor. Him in the lighthouse. He was, he was so yeah. great. So my whole goal was to watch every other actor and see, I'm like, okay, good. Everyone's doing great. And then he came on and I'm like, wow, this is going to be great. And then he starts talking. Mm-hmm. It's like a higher register for how he taught it fucking it blew me away more than i expected and uh-huh. he never breaks that character the whole time he's in it so mm-hmm. i i yeah. think i can't say that he stole the show but it's definitely the most nuanced performance it's it's so great it's it's like a sleeker version of uh dudley i forgot what his what what's his name roy yeah uh yeah yeah well and it, and it works because he's yeah the creepy, um, lascivious preacher. Yes. And uh, Dudley, the Roy character, is a much more like, uh, you know, I mean, he eventually believes that God, you know, he locks himself in a closet and then Mm -hmm. believes that God told him to kill his wife and resurrect her, which was such a crazy, powerful scene because it mirrored... um, the idea of sacrificing the dog and all the things that happened yep. in the first story. Mm-hmm. Then you thought, Oh, he's thinking he has to sacrifice, but then you realize that he somehow believes that he's going to be able to resurrect a human being. And, uh, and as we see when they're kind of driving away, um, he really did believe that that was going to happen. And again, mm-hmm. that's kind of the devil in the place of some sort of religion. Yep. And, um, but I actually didn't like Robert Pattinson that much. And really? I did like him in the, um, I did like him in um, the lighthouse. And I do think he's good. I think Kristen Stewart's better, but um, I think <laughs> that, I think that he did, I'm biased, but I think that he, um, you know, I think that he was not bad. He did the part really well, but I, I think it's actually more, he wasn't given that much to do. He sort of was there to do the chicken liver scene and then impregnate this girl, you know, and, yeah. and, and further her story. But I thought that Roy, this, you know, that kid again, Melling, he um, he did so much with so little. True. So to me, that kind of, whenever I see that happening in a movie, I think, because I have to do that sometimes. You know, you're given very little to do and you got to do the most you can with it. I thought he did so much with that part. And, and the idea of just him trying to resurrect her and in the car on the way, trying to get away, and then being sort of one of the models of the serial killer couple, you know, that's not a lot of screen time, but a lot of fucking shit unfolded with that. And he kind of wanted... It, that was such a weird moment where, you know, usually these serial killers, you're like, they're despicable. But in this case, they were delivering 
uh, justice upon this guy that had killed his wife. So that was a really weird moment where you were like, when you saw him in the back seat of their car, you were like, oh, good, he's going to get killed. Yeah. And then that makes you think, all right, well, wait a second. What does that say about me that I'm rooting for this person's death? What am I, a Weinstein hater and hoping he dies from COVID? What's going on here? But it really was an interesting kind of, those things happen quite a few times in the film. And if I had to pick one person, I just think Tom Holland is so compelling and he is so, uh, he's such a great protagonist in this. And we love yeah. when he beats up the assholes at school. And we love when he kills Robert Pattinson and actually goes through with that. And we root for him to win the gunfight with the crooked sheriff, you know? Mm -hmm. So he just has us the entire way. But I, um, almost off of the Margot Robbie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing, I thought the the sister who was uh, the, the female half of the serial killer couple, I thought she was spectacular because each time she was on screen, whether she was making the phone call to rat out her husband or when she was thinking about leaving him and just driving away, um, you know, she just was, it was gripping. You just wanted, and, and when he came in, uh, when her brother came in and found the photograph, but you didn't know if he did, if it was just a piece of candy that he found on the ground, um, cause he pops in candy and you, you just, you love everything that she does. And then when he leaves, one of the moments that really caught me off guard and that I loved is he leaves after saying, stop whoring. I'm trying to get elected as the sheriff again and I'm the law and you know, all this stuff. And he leaves and she just looks at him and it's like, yeah. And then kind of, <laughs> and then walks away. And I thought, you know, they didn't do that for anybody else. Nobody else as an actor in this film did something that clearly was their choice was not in the script and worked uh, like really fucking worked because mm -hmm. it reminded you that she wasn't a serial killer she wasn't a hooker. She's this guy's younger sister and she fucking thinks he's an asshole, you know? And she's, yeah. you saw her as that little girl. Yeah. And I think without that one moment, the ending, the shootout between Tom Holland and her, that sort of Mexican stand-up Reservoir Dogs moment, um, <laughs> uh, that would not have been as powerful if you hadn't yeah. seen her do that one moment of, you know, so that, so I I think I liked her. That broke that broke my heart. Uh, Riley Keough, I think that's how you pronounce her name, but she was in oh, yeah. um, the Girlfriend Experience and Logan. Lucky. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So Soderbergh likes her. Yeah. She's, so she's I, great, though. I went into this thinking it was going to be Robert Pattinson who stole the show for me, um, just because I do like I, I I've seen Good Time, I've seen The Lighthouse, like. I do like him. I think he's a good actor. He was, he was good time. I like those directors a lot. Yeah, Zappy Brothers. Are, like good times and Uncut Gems are just two of my favorite movies. Uncut Gems, I don't know if I'll be able to watch again, but like I, I really know that was that. so heartbreaking. But it was a great film. Yeah, but um, it was definitely for me. I felt like every character, as well written as they were and as well rounded as they were, I felt like only one character got the best character arc, and that was Roy. I in in the short time of, that he was on screen. I never could predict where what he was going to do next. Right. Me, yeah. Yeah. That seems like that's the markings of a very good and complex character because 
at the beginning when you first get introduced to him, my first thought is, okay, this guy's a shyster. He's like a fraud. He's probably just, you know, taking all these like hicks for their money. And then when you watch him pour the spiders on himself, you're kind of like, okay, well, he goes a little above and beyond for his grip. Right. That was so crazy. I even forgot about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. But then when I keep watching it, you start to fully realize, oh, no. Okay. So he does believe that what he's doing is true. And then you think that, because at first it seemed like when they say, you know, we didn't see her again for seven years, your immediate thought is, okay, well, he murdered her. So I was like, okay, so he's a mm -hmm. fraud who goes from town to town picking up women and then murdering them. But then you realize that's not what happened. So like, and then by the end of the movie, you see him go through all the stages of grief right before he gets shot in the face. And all he wants to do is make sure his daughter, uh, her name is known, you know? And so yeah. it's like, for me, that character, and that was all in like, what, seven minutes of screen time? Really? So, really? Yeah, it was very. It was, it was between seven to ten minutes, but like the fact that you could have a character who you, I, I essentially despise, and then had empathy for, and then felt like, okay, well, he's accepted what he's done is wrong. That's good. I guess he's gonna die happy, knowing that, I don't know, he feels better or he feels good letting it off his chest. It just seemed very, he seemed very okay with dying. Obviously, it was because he probably felt like he was being punished for failing God, and so he felt very accepting of it. He was the most realistic of the um, of all these people in terms of the um, uh, the religiousness of it. You know, mm -hmm. he was the one that actually, you know, did the crazy thing uh, because of religion, made a huge mistake, but did believe in it. Was a fanatic, did something terrible, and then you know, was both a martyr and also somebody that received, um, you know, a death sentence for something that they had done, you know, retribution, I guess. So yeah. for him to do all that in that amount of time is both incredible writing and excellent acting and great editing. I thought the whole thing was edited really well. Mm -hmm. I mean, it I was really... The pacing was really good in that movie. It didn't feel like two hours. It breezed along, and that has a lot to do. And with it was longer than two hours, right? Two, I think it's two, two hours, like fifteen or something like that. That's a long fucking movie. You know, it was, every minute was necessary. Yeah, I think that's right. So that that to me is another mark of a film where you feel, um, you know, you feel like, wow, this is what movies can be. Mm -hmm. And part of that is kind of when they cut. There was one great edit. Um, I just was thinking of it, but there was one great edit where it's sort of the action was with that classic thing where somebody was sort of moving out of a room and then suddenly they're getting out of the car. You know, I think yeah, it was the sheriff. Yeah. And, oh, um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And so that sort of stuff kind of, um, you know, really made, and I thought it was fascinating too, when he killed, he didn't need to kill the guy that said, you know, your your horror sister works for me and you can't shut down that bar um you know when he killed his goon and him that didn't need to happen but it was really interesting it was really fulfilling because you mm -hmm. just hate those guys because you just you're that's what they're there for <laughs> but you know the big dumb guy you know who gets shot lenny from mice and men style um <laughs> you know there's not, nothing really wrong with him but you sort of root for their their deaths, and then you're forced to realize that that guy didn't do it for any other reason than um, his own political gain. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
And so now it's another thing where you're like, well, Tom Holland is killing for the right reasons, whereas mm -hmm. the sheriff is killing for the wrong reasons because he was going to kill Tom Holland because of because um, Tom Holland killed his sister. But mm -hmm. as as is evidenced in the film, um, you know, the only reason he he didn't want to kill his sister and he did it out of self-defense and she also would have killed him. She shot yeah. him. Yeah, she so, did. And I thought and all the, that was brilliant. The blanks really, that he put in the gun. That just, I mean, so I was, good. there were so many times in this movie where you thought someone got shot, but they played yeah. with what you were like, like both fire. And then it shows one person like slowly dying. And you're like, hmm. oh, fuck. Thank God. Tom Holland's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> and, you really, for him. and you really did. Um, uh, they did. I was. Just, I actually. I thought about that a bunch of times. So the movie. I was like, never before has a gunshot gone off in a film, and you're like, who died? Yep. Yeah. And exactly. that happens like three times. It's amazing. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, this movie's a really good example, I think, of desperation versus conviction. And I think it's yeah. split up between a lot of characters, but there is like one character that does both. And I think most of the characters show um, most of their acts through desperation. Um, I think the only character that toes the line is uh, fuck, what's his name? Um, Bill Skarsgård's character, Willard, um, the dad. And it's because he starts off with doing everything from conviction, like being convinced that he's doing the right thing, you know, by right. God. But then by the end of the movie, he's doing things out of desperation to try and please God. Yeah. Whereas Tom Holland is the only character who consistently does everything based off conviction through the whole film. Like he's never once, I mean, he questions whether or not his methods are, uh, justifiable but in his own heart you can tell he knows that he's doing the right thing whereas everybody else and then i guess you maybe go as far as say charlotte his or uh, lenora his stepsister was the same way but hers is obviously a lot uh what's the word I'm looking for um it's yeah um, yeah hers is a lot more misleading than tom holland's is um or she was misled more than he was and it's but, just but, interesting to me that like he uses religion the opposite way his father used religion. Like his father used it to say, you know, if we do these things, God will be pleased. And to me, it seems like Tom Holland's character is doing these things because he feels like God isn't doing his job. So like, I think that's, both, I think that's yeah. yeah. And he's also the only atheist in the whole film. Yep. And who kind of isn't a praying man. They, and then, you know, another time they say that he would laugh at his grandmother for praying and pray on and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, he's the one who's doing the most good you know so to mm -hmm. speak he's the one that is doing god's work with sort of killing this preacher who you know essentially killed his sister mm -hmm. and uh you know in self-defense killing these two serial killers who were gonna then go and kill more people that was another important component of her her wanting to leave her serial killer husband but um not mm. because what that did for me was when she got shot i was like you weren't gonna stop this this is gonna keep going until both of you were killed yeah so because you didn't have the the wherewithal to do it on your own um you know tom holland had to step in and sort of make sure that justice was had um, but it just, every single moment, every single moment was really, 
really, really worked. And now that I even am talking to you guys about it, I think I am going to show it to Kate because she's watching this Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant thing called The Undoing. And she said, I don't think it's really, you know, I love these actors and you don't love them that. So I don't think it's really something you need to see. And I echoed that with this. But now talking about it, I think it's it's a complex enough movie and it's so engaging that I think that she really would like it. Um, so it's, it is, it's a movie that um, I, I really, it felt like a Coen Brothers film and not yeah. just because mm -hmm. that Harry Melling guy was in it, but because it had so many of the components of what the Coen Brothers do well. And then more so because of um, the, uh, the density of the story. There was just so much there, more than, you know, in a Coen Brothers film, because they try and, um, they, they try and, uh, you know, zero in on one theme or one particular story and other things, except the, the Ballad of Lewin, whatever that is, but. Buster, Buster Scruggs. Scruggs. Yeah, and so, but I, I thought that this film was just really, really dynamic in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. And the only directors I could uh, compare uh, these directors to is uh, the Coen brothers, which is, of course, incredibly high praise. You know? Yeah. Um, so before in the first half, Garrett and I always have a segment called Bowl. Well, do you want to do it, Garrett? Yeah, I'll do it. Uh Bull prediction. There we go. <laughs> I love it's it. Very, it's very simple. Before the we watch the movie, we both give bold predictions on one thing we think is going to happen in the movie. Bold Usually, <laughs> it's funny. We used to so we started doing it like I don't know, maybe a year ago, and we used to do it where we would actually guess real legit things we think might happen in the movie, and we found that that really ruins the movie going experience. So now we do it where we just like say something really outlandish that may actually happen. And Garrett, you said you said you were excited about your bold prediction, right? Uh, not really. I mean, I was just oh. like, uh, I predict, <laughs> I predict something. I predict there will be a scene in a church. That's, That's what I right, said. Yeah. Which, which uh, happens in the first <laughs> happens so, in the first three minutes. I know. It's because I watched the trailer and you didn't. So yeah, you said I did. And I was just like, well, fucking, it, it's in the trailer. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, so my bold prediction, I am shocked. And I think, because Garrett, you don't remember what mine was, right? I'm mm -mm. utterly shocked that this scene did not happen in this movie. And when I say what it was, you both will be shocked that it did not happen. I predicted that somebody would have their feet washed. Oh, I'm yeah. not, now, now hearing that, I guess. Yeah, like how did that yeah. not happen? How did that not happen once? Well, it didn't happen because uh, oh, because the <laughs> there are no God in this movie. Yeah. I thought I was doing really well with that bold prediction. I'm like, someone's got to have their feet washed in this movie. Nope. I know. I think that's, yeah, I would have expected they would too, because that's a form of sort of veneration or whatever. But mm -hmm. it was the chicken livers mm -hmm. that was that mm -hmm. version of, um, yeah, the, the, the bringing the chicken livers, um, that was that version of foot washing. She made that food and she hoped, and then he talked shit on it and then ate it because it was the best food. <laughs> Rob hands in you piece of shit. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! I was thinking that too, like because I love, uh, I like how they established that she's a very good cook, and so you already know, like when he eat, when he's not gonna let anybody else eat the food. I'm like this motherfucker, <laughs> such an asshole. <laughs> that was crazy. Yeah, the grandmother really got the shit end of the stick throughout the entire movie. 
She, she really to, did. She, she had to uh, adopt two children. <laughs> that fucking. <laughs> oh my god! She fucking died. Right, died or killed people. Yeah. I want to. Uh, I want to write down two notes that I or read two notes that I wrote that are not very serious notes. Um, one is huh, the couple definitely picked the wrong person to fuck with at the end of the movie. <laughs> oh Which yeah. Which is what I thought. From the second they picked up Tom Holland, I'm like, oh, they're dead. Like, they're so dead. <laughs> I, I, I was say, still I worried. Know. Yeah, I didn't know. I was kind of like... I was a little worried that be... they would kill all three of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's what's great about that stand up at the end, is you think, are all three of these people going to end up dead because that's what they deserve? And Tom Holland was fresh off of killing somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it kind of kept me guessing throughout. I, I just thought it was so... Um, it was just so well done. There was no point where I was like, eh, just everything. I kind of went, wow, and how it was being put together. It did have the feel of a book in the sense that it felt like somebody had taken a year to write this story and make sure yeah. that every, you know, so it was probably a really easy screenplay to write. Mm. And then my other note is, did you guys notice how fucking dense that birthday cake looked? <laughs> <laughs> Go no. back and watch the scene where it's his birthday because the way they have to cut through that fucking cake, it looks like it's made out of like steak. Like it's just like they're all just like, oh yeah, so it's your birthday. I'm like, why are you fucking carving a piece of cake? I mean, maybe they were being maybe they were being really real and it was like a cornmeal cake or something. That could That's what be. it looked yeah. like. Doing a Paul Hollywood cut. All right, if anyone's watching <laughs> Great British Bake Off. A little deep cut, a little uh, deep uh, lady. A, a deep cut, deep cut. Yeah, right. deep cut. Netflix. All right, um, I think it's time to rate it. I, do we all have our opinions out? I mean, yeah, and I'll well, I'll say the one last thing. Um, all right. From my perspective, was when he gets in the car with the hippie mm-hmm. at the end. I thought that was the most brilliant way of ending it because. Yes. It's so beautiful. He's starting to fall asleep. He's thinking about enlisting in Vietnam. And then he thinks, maybe I shouldn't do that. Will I be forgiven? Will I not? Will I ever see my sort of adopted grandparents again? Probably too dangerous, so probably not. And he was so subtle. But as they're driving away, he looks back. And they're driving away in a VW van in a bus. Mm-hmm. A, 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 the car of the 60s and he looks back and a 1950s style car drives away in the other direction oh. and so he's actually literally watching hmm. the 50s go into the past his I past literally yep. and the past of the way the world moves and then sitting with this hippie guy who you are not afraid is a serial killer who is not going to hurt him, who will take him to Cincinnati and probably say, hey, man, a bunch of my friends and me are living in this apartment together. If you just want to get a sleeping bag, let's just chill and make music. And so you're really, it's said through the 60s and Vietnam was kind of in the background of the, you know, we went from the South Pacific War to Vietnam and Vietnam was kind of in the background, but then that announcement in the VW van of them saying we're going to do more, uh, we're sending more troops into the, and so you really see, oh, we're going into the beginning of the 60s, and he's Mm -hmm. going to somewhere. He's not going to fucking hate Ashbury in San Francisco, but he's headed to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati, compared to these towns, is a big fucking city. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's leaving the 50s of the rural Midwest and going to the 1960s of urban growth. And I thought that was really interesting and was a very strange way to say this guy's going to be okay. Mm. He's, he's he's leaving the he past survived, behind. He survived the 50s and he's going to be okay in the 60s and probably get laid a lot. <laughs> that's a really good. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that when I watched the end of the movie. Didn't but that's a really good. That's so great. Hey, that's my job, man. That's what I do. Got to <laughs> figure that stuff out. So yeah, what did you guys? How, what's your rating system, Mike? So it's pretty much. You go first. I have to pee so bad. I'll be right back. You guys. I've heard about going. this, Garrett. Garrett, I hear about how you do this all the time. All the time. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Um, so the rating is. So the first half of the podcast, we give what we call an arbitrary rating. And it's literally will just be like, um, we give this movie eight. You got a metal arm? That's so awesome out of 10. And so oh, before right. the movie, we'll say like some random quote from like an actor that we know or something. But then after, it'll be whatever your rating is and then just something referencing the movie. So like it could be, I'll give the movie nine dense pieces of cake out of 10, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's a 10 prologues out of 10 prologues, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'll go first with my rating and then you can go and then Garrett should be back by then. Um, I love this movie. I thought it was really good. I'm going to show it to other people probably because yeah. I think it is an interesting movie. People who I think would appreciate it. Um, and, it's, and it's worth a second watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I really, I just love these kinds of like, I love moody, atmospheric movies. Like uh, Paul Thomas Anderson comes to mind a lot when I think of movies like that. And like, I just, oh, I cute. loved it and I vibed with it. And I think this is a, I'm going to give it an eight and a half. I'm going to give it eight and a half. Um... Eight and a half wide open dogs in a prayer log out of ten. <laughs> wide open dogs in a prayer log. I like the dense cake rating. Um, maybe I'm a little bit too um, non-critical of films that I really like, but I would say this is ten prayer logs out of ten. I just I didn't see enough wrong with this to have any complaints. I just thought the acting was pitch perfect across the board the writing the editing the directing and when a movie at the end of it you've been standing for part of it and you say wow that was a good fucking movie to me that's 10 out of 10 it's always weird to me i was reading for some reason i was reading i was messing around on imdb and sometimes i'll sort of do six degrees of separation and get back to my profile mm-hmm. and then I, somehow i got back there and i was looking at people's ratings of my hbo special and they yeah. were like 1.5 out of 10, like 3.5 out of 10. And of course, it's only the people that hate things that go on the internet and do that. But I just thought about how I often am like that, that I'm kind of like, eh, that movie, you know, that's a 2 out of 10 for me. It's rare that I'm like, I don't know, 7.5. There's some films where you go, this was, like, uh, Kate and I just watched this film called Little Joe which is about a a plant breeder and a company and they make a type of plant that when you smell it 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 affects your emotions and it's kind of a thriller uh and we loved the movie loved it but we hated the sound design the sound design was so annoying <laughs> and invasive and all this stuff other oh, trying to kick me out of here you sure you want to watch a christopher nolan movie oh and watch this hold on, hold on. Part of, it's part of the podcast. Hello? <laughs> Hello? What's happening here? 
Hello? Hi, this is Mary from the front staff. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, I told her I'm just finishing a film podcast called It's Better Be Good. So, no, I'm, 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 I'm walking out of the hotel right now. So, okay, thank you. I love you. All right, bye. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, I love you. So, I think that, um, I, I would say that the, um that's a movie where i go the sound design was so uh distracting that it with better sound design that movie would have been a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. um but because the sound design yeah it was like a 8.5 or something like that but this i really think is 10 prologues out of 10. i really do and this is a masterfully <laughs> done movie and it's one of my favorite movies that i've seen in a long time what do you garrett? think garrett i uh yeah i mean i've I, i'm back uh <laughs> <laughs> I I legitimately it, it's that kind of thing where I'm like do I give it a full 10 and uh, there's nothing I can think that's wrong with it so I I wouldn't hold back. I mean, I think this movie should get nominated for literally everything at the Oscars. This movie was Oh, that would be great. Hands down one of the best I've seen in a long time. Well, I can tell you right now it's got about a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I don't think it's going to be nominated for an Oscar. Bullshit. I'm I mean, sorry, it's true. <laughs> I we didn't do Parasite so on the podcast, but I loved Parasite. I I yeah, left I that movie too. feeling the exact same that I left this one. Going, that was a masterclass film. I yeah, still yeah. have not watched Parasite. It's uh, it's amazing, and we got to watch it in um, in the theater, also the IFC yep. Center in Greenwich Village, and that movie was just like. Oh my good lord god. It was so good and there's no movie like it and mm -hmm. you never knew what was going to happen and it was such a nail biter and so it definitely deserved best picture. And I think you're right. I mean, I don't know that I'll see another movie from 2020 that's as good as that. I, yeah. I just don't think so. I can't think of anything right now, you know. I'm going to give this one a 10. A 10 um uh dead crucified dogs for no reason uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't get rid of that i was gonna say uh uh 10 preacher face spiders out of 10 there preacher face spiders <laughs> um at the end of the episode we'd like to tell everybody where they can find us but since garrett and i are locked in michigan uh yeah PJ, totally. where, where can everybody find you this weekend uh, i'll be at the miami improv this weekend then the weekend after um Thanksgiving, I'll be in Phoenix, Arizona at the House of Comedy. So tell all your friends that live in Arizona. And then if you have friends that live in Tampa or Orlando, I'll be there the second and third weekend of December. So I'm doing a Florida and Arizona tour. Basically, I should call it the uh, Shitballs Crazy Enough to Stay Open Tour. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good name. <laughs> all right. So, so we end I'll talk to you guys next time, but with COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, being on, so man. Easily, we just say, uh, we say our names again, so I'll say I'm Mac Logan. Garrett will say he's Garrett Elziga. You'll say you're TJ Miller. And then we'll all say, and that was good. Easy enough? I like that. Yeah, and, um, I'm Teenage Millionaire on Instagram, not TJ Miller on Twitter. And uh, you can find me on TikTok, never. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead, guys, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Mike Logan. I'm Garrett Elziga. Oh. God damn it, I fucked it. <laughs>
and that was bad. And that was good. <laughs> uh, All right, sorry. Right, again. Oh, you want to do it again? Let's do it again. Sure. I'm Mike Logan. I'm Garrett Elzinga. I'm Garrett. El- Shit! I fucked it again. <laughs> now that was good. <laughs> We're keeping right. everything. I'm TJ right. Miller. <laughs> I'm Mike Logan. I'm Garrett Elzinga. And, and that, that was, was good. good. Nice. Perfect. Great. Perfect. <laughs>